came and I got some things to say. I've been trying to find a good point in my life in the past couple of weeks where I could come and sit down in my car and, you know, put out another podcast episode and have another another therapy session with myself, but um, I have plans this weekend to go and get back to Chicago with my roommate and a friend of ours on our floor. And um, I'm excited, but I'm also, I kind of don't really want to go at the same time, but I do, and it's nothing against my roommate or anything, or the friend that's coming with us, it's just that I've been in a bit of a, bit of in, <laughs> I've been a bit of a pit lately, depression pit, to be precise, but, um, I don't know if you can recall from my last episode that I did where I talked about that one week where I had where I didn't go to any of my classes and I just slept. Well, the beautiful thing about history is it tends to repeat itself. (laughs) And um, I had such a wonderful weekend seeing all of my really, really, really good friends this past weekend. and. In a weird way, it's almost as if I'm having, like, withdrawal now from the amount of happiness and serotonin that I was able to get when I was there. That, like, coming back to the real world on Monday was, uh, really rough. But, uh, basically, this episode... Excuse me, I had to burp. (laughs) This episode is going to be me airing out my dirty laundry, which is pretty vague, I know, but basically, um, god, take a shot every time I say the word basically. I did that so much in my last episode. I don't know how you guys stand me, all 14 of you that listen, (laughs) um, but it's, man, god. (laughs) I hate me. Well, this episode is going to consist of just the idea of being able to look back on things you did in the past, admit that they were wrong, and then moving on because you know deep down that you're a better person now. And yeah, we all have flaws, and that's okay, but um, we're different. People are always changing. And honest to God, I used to be, like, a really, really bad person, and I had only just come to that realization, like, a couple months ago, and I know that's kind of bad, but when you have to live with yourself every goddamn day, and especially just being alone in your head all goddamn day, you start to, um, nitpick memories and psychoanalyze just because there's literally nothing else better to do and in addition to sitting down in front of the mirror and nitpicking the way that I look it's almost as if I put a mirror to my own brain and I nitpick things in my brain and I went back in time in my head and I was like shit 
no experience in my life is original. Um, <laughs> but anyway, the point is that I just, I'll just start from the beginning. When I was younger, and I mean like younger, like elementary school and stuff, I uh, spent a lot of time in this place called Ivy League, which um, is almost like a rec center slash daycare thing. And I would spend a lot of my time there growing up, at least up until the age of 12 when, you know, when you're legally allowed to stay home alone at your house. Because both of my parents worked all the time. And the thing is, is that I have a lot of stuff wrong with me. Duh. <laughs> Obviously, I don't think any normal neurotypical person would be like, I'm going to make a podcast where I go and I sit in my car and talk to myself for an hour. But hey, what are you going to do? What What do you know about it? Uh, basically, though, I... There's a pipeline to my parents not being around a good majority of my childhood to my need for validation and wanting to be center of attention all the time. There is a very clear pipeline. Very clear. And it only took uh, 19 years for me to put those puzzle pieces together. Because when you have to sit down in front of yourself and really ask the hard questions like, was I... Did I make the right decision at that time? Was I a perfect kid? And you have to be like, no. I wasn't. Um, I don't know. Facing the ugly parts of yourself, whether they be physical or mental, is not a fun task because nobody likes to be right about the things that they know deep down inside are true because you walk day to day around with your... At times it feels as well, almost as though my brain is just dragging my body around, but I have to live with my own thoughts every single day, and I'm like, mm, I'll put that away for later when problematic things come up, but to have to sit down and be like, hmm, let's address this, especially by yourself, because I'm not in therapy, obviously, and um, this is kind of therapeutic for me. I know I'm like dancing all over the place. I have a bunch of things I want to talk about, but my brain is like, my Brian, my Brian. He's having a lot of trouble right now trying to get things in one place. But I don't know. It's almost as if I want to take a big strainer to my brain and just take out all the goop and the bad stuff. But let's backtrack a little bit. Go back to what we were originally talking about before I decided to go off on a tangent again, like one does. Um, Ivy League. I was there a lot. My parents were there for my childhood, and I didn't necessarily have a bad childhood. It's just now that I really look back on it, I didn't really have a lot of friends, which is like, okay, that's not that bad. But it's like, for the longest time, that was normal for me. And when I talk to my other friends, it almost seems as though there's a common thread of, like, kids who are neurodivergent and kids that are neurotypical. Because I ask a lot of my normal, and sadly, to say normal, I don't mean it like that, but friends who don't take medication, don't go to therapy, and they're fine. 
will be like, oh, I had so many friends growing up. And I'm like, okay, that's cool. How many did you have? Oh, we had like, I had like 10 friends. We would all go like play hide and seek in the neighborhood. We were all friends with each other. We would all hang out all the time. I'm like, oh, that's so cool. I had like um, three friends and one of them was like four years younger than me and was a boy and the other two were sisters and we were all neighbors and it almost felt as though we were each other's world and we realized that it's like I used to get really really possessive over them and it would really hurt bad when they would hang out without me which is weird is weird for a young child to have such an intense like FOMO and if you uh, guys out there don't know what FOMO is it's just basically fear of missing out and it's exactly what it sounds like where you see people doing things without you whether you know them or not which is the funniest thing and you get jealous but this sort of jealousy festers in such an unhealthy way where it can almost lead to a panic attack Jumping forward a bit, I remember this specific time where I had two friends who were both my best friends at the time. I saw them saw them with my own eyes hanging out uh, without me. They were walking down the street from getting ice cream and I went home and I cried hard. I and I just remember calling my neighbor at the time and I was like she was another good friend of mine and I was like why am I so obsessed like why am I crying what the fuck is wrong with me I shouldn't be so upset and I just remember being so angry but like not really at them just at myself because they didn't do anything wrong and that's another thing where I'll talk about in this entire episode in the main sense of just like you have to look back at the things that sometimes it seemed as though in the moment that you were the victim you have to look back and be like no (laughs) I wasn't they didn't do anything wrong and I was just me because like looking through the lens at a situation like looking through a lens as like of a 19 year old versus a 15 year old in four years your mentality changes a lot and in the sense of going to daycare all the time and just constantly being there and my parents not really being there like I had a good childhood they didn't my parents didn't abuse me but they um they weren't there a lot and I realize that now which I guess is not really that bad but apparently nowadays it's a type of abuse where they just it's neglect but When they were there, everything was so good. So, how could it possibly be abuse when, like, they weren't doing anything deliberately? Were they too busy to have a kid? No, I don't think so, because in the times that we did spend together as a family, everything was okay. And I just remember my dad also not being there a lot, which now he is very, very present in my life, and he's my best friend, and I love him so much, and I have no bad blood towards him and anything he did, because he worked all the time, so hard, so many over shifts, whatever those are called, were you, overtime, overtime, he did a lot of overtime for me and my mom to go out and do things, and for us to have money, like, I went to Disney World when I was younger, and that was really cool, (laughs) from what I can remember, since I was only, like, five or six but I went with um both my parents but there was one time where I went to go 
a water park somewhere in Florida and my dad wasn't with us, I remember, because he was working to try to, you know, make ends meet. And I didn't know this at the time, but talking to my dad, he had told me that we were like really struggling financially, which was crazy to me because it was like, if I, if my parents at times couldn't afford to put me in Ivy League, that daycare, I would just spend time at my grandma's. I remember spending a lot of time with my grandma and my cousin, who was like two years older than me. I built a really good bond with him, but then we, you know, just grew apart with age because we had different interests and also, I don't know, just happens, but I, I was a very bossy kid and I know it stems a lot of this and now this is just me psychoanalyzing myself but I like to liked still kind of do but I'm getting over it and trying to work through it but I don't like it when things are not in my control I've gotten a lot better now because now I can say things like oh we'll cross that bridge once we come to it we don't need to worry about it right now and I'm able to like be like oh no it's fine I'll just roll with it and I try and try to tend to roll with the punches and sometimes I find myself that I can't but um when I was younger I totally couldn't like I was I can imagine I wasn't not I wasn't that fun to play with if I like if I was another kid I wouldn't want to be friends with me because I was just so bossy like I just wanted everything to go my way all the time and I was mean I was a mean-spirited little brat and there was a lot of undiagnosed ADHD in there somewhere, especially for me looking at my old report cards from when I was in elementary. That's like, um, really smart, lacks motivation, very talkative in class, has good grades, but, um, can't sit still, fights with the teachers, fights with students. Like, duh. <laughs> There's obviously points to connect. There are dots to connect, and it is very obvious, but, um... Yeah, I was kind of a bitch. <laughs> I was a little brat. A little fucking brat. And looking back on it, I'm like, ooh, that's awkward. But there was that point in my life. So it's whatever, I guess. Once I turned the age of 12, I didn't have to go to Ivy League anymore. And there was also the um, thing of... <laughs> I can laugh about it now because it's like I'm over it. But then I ask myself, am I really over it? Or am I just saying that I'm over it because it's something I shouldn't dwell on, but I did used to get bullied. And for the longest time, I didn't think it was bullying because I thought everybody went through it, but when talking to people, you start to realize how not normal your childhood was. And I would be like, oh yeah, I remember this one memory I have of these two boys that um just started throwing dodgeballs at me and stuff, and... My friend goes, oh, yeah, they were probably playing dodgeball. And I was like, oh, no, they weren't playing dodgeball. They just had dodgeballs, and they were throwing them at me and calling me fat and ugly. And I'm like, and then everyone goes silent. And I'm like, oh, 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 that's, oh, okay, that's weird. Should I not have said that? Is that oversharing? Is that something I need to, like, talk about and get help for? And I'm like, I don't know. Trauma is such a um, such a heavy word. And I know there's things like minor trauma, major trauma, where it's like there's little things and there's big things. There's things that like major stuff that, that can lead to things like PTSD. And then there's the little stuff that kind of just um, fuck you up. 
little bit, but little by little. And there's this, again, this stupid common thread I tend to see in my life where I become so attached to a certain ideal of a person and then they just leave. And that sucks, but let me run down that with you. So we're going to start off with the first time I ran into that situation, which was my sister. So I have an older sister who is technically my half-sister, if you want to get all technical, because we have the same father, but we have different mothers. Before I was born, my dad ended up dating this woman when he was 19, straight out of high school and getting her pregnant and um, having Tanya, my sister. And the problem is that Tanya's mother was a horrible person and also kind of um, a drug addict. And my sister's childhood, hers was a lot more messed up than mine. And honestly, I am amazed and so, so proud of her, how far she's gotten and how like okay she is now. And she's she is my... I look up to her so, so much, and I don't think I'd ever be able to tell her that to her face, so Tanya, if you're listening, close your ears, fuck you, <laughs> but, um, yeah, she's, I, she's my idol, I look up to her, and she's the reason that I am probably not as scared as the future as I used to be, because being able to see how she is in her life, and how okay she's doing, makes me like calm and okay that things will end up fine because the future is really scary to me but for everything that she went through and the fact that she turned out the way she did and I mean that in a good way she turned out so wonderful that it gives me hope I guess and I don't know and like I mentioned last time I'm not my voice isn't shaky because I'm gonna cry it's shaky because it's cold out here it's like 47 degrees in my car and if I turn my car on the lights are on and I don't want people to know I'm just sitting out here in my car um but uh yeah so my sister Tanya is about god how much older she's like 12 years older than me I think 12 or 13 I can't fucking remember but uh, she, uh, lived uh, with my dad also in, with my grandma and they, uh, a lot of her childhood w- was, you know, there. And, um, for the most part, she had told me that she grew up with, um, my aunt Dawn and my grandma as her like mom, motherly figures until my mother walked into the scene. My mom walked into the scene and, uh, my mom and dad hit it off and, you know, dated for a couple years, got married, and from what I hear from both sides, my mom and Tanya never got along, which is really sad to think about because, like, I both love them very, very much in different ways, but to hear how badly my mom treated Tanya growing up and the things she would say and do and... Because <sighs> it's... I already have such a complicated image of my own mother, but... I don't know. To skip a few chapters that are just going into the nitty-gritty, basically, the relationship between Tanya and my mother wasn't good. And when my sister turned 18, I can't remember how old it was. I was probably like five or six. I don't know. 
she moved out. Tanya moved out the day she turned 18, and I just remember crying. I was devastated. I didn't want Tanya to go. I didn't know why she was going. I thought it was my fault. I thought I did something wrong, but I just remember Tanya being like, no, it's not your fault. You didn't do anything wrong. I'll still try to visit as much as I can. Yada, yada, yada. And we did talk, but it was also hard since I was so young and it's not like I could do what, how I did, what I do now where I can just like text her or call her if I'm ever missing her. So a good majority of the growing up part of my life where I really needed a big sister, she wasn't there. And this is no shit towards her because she didn't do anything wrong. It just sucks because it's like there's that whole part of growing up and like puberty and like questions I had and the times where it almost seemed like everybody was against me and all I wanted was just to talk to my big sister. I couldn't because I was like, I don't know, like 10. I didn't have a phone. <laughs> like, what was I going to do after getting yelled at by my mom and my dad? Go straight to them after being yelled at and be like, I don't want to talk to Tanya on the phone. Like, what? They weren't going to say, oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> so... There was a lot of time where it's like I, I needed her and she wasn't there. And like I said, it's not her fault. It's just how it's how the cookie it's how the cookie crumbles, I guess. But she wasn't there and that kind of sucked. And it almost seemed as though I got whiplash from the fact that she just left out of nowhere because I had no idea it was coming and then she was gone. But the second thing comes up again with my parents' divorce. And the funny thing about my parents' divorce is that, um, there was no, like, there was no fighting. At least, if they did ever fight, I never saw it, or heard it, or anything. So, the days leading up to them telling me that they were gonna get divorced seemed like just normal days. And I don't know if it's better to at least expect something to come, but when they sit you down and tell you we're going to get a divorce and all you can do is just laugh. I laughed. I laughed in their faces. They told me they were getting a divorce and I laughed at them because I thought they were joking. I thought this was some sick prank that they thought it would be fun to pull on like an 11 year old. And that they were going to be like, oh, just kidding. Oh, <laughs> I know we saw that on Facebook and that would be funny to trick you. And I'd be like, oh, you guys are so funny. But um, <laughs> uh, it wasn't a joke. They did. And after, um, after that week of denial and it finally hit only when we were packing to move to my aunt's. And then the conversations of we're moving to Brookfield we're going to you're going to be going to a new school you're going to meet new people and you're going to have to leave everybody and everything you've known behind and not to get super sad but as I was pulling out of the driveway out of my childhood home with my mom in the front seat like next to me I look and I see my dad in the doorway watching his little girl me being driven away and that was the first time I ever saw him cry and I have that memory burned into my head and 
when my mind goes really, really dark places, that's one of the first things that I think of because it's just I had never felt so much pain in my goddamn life. And um, I literally had to get staples in the back of my head one time from falling off my bike. It was such a deep-rooted, like, visceral pain that I can only describe as though someone, like, reached down my throat, grabbed my heart, and just, like, pulled it right back out, out of my mouth. And, like, my, like, it's almost like you're so shocked into sadness that all you can do is just, I don't know sit there because you don't even have enough reaction time to even realize you're crying and by the time you do that's when everything goes to shit <laughs> but I don't know the fact that not only my sister leaving but my parents divorcing came without no warning and they just kind of left in the sense it really really fucked with my inability to have stable relationships and I don't mean relationships like strictly romantic I mean friendships as well and just normal day-to-day relations that you have with people because I have gone through so many sets and weird to say enough like triple groups of like best friends that it's like it's kind of sad because you'd think that you'd have a best friend that would last all the way from childhood to now but it's like I've gone through at least six people I've considered my best friend that's kind of weird I feel like but because and this is where I want to talk about not everything was their fault because I like to do this wonderful thing called self-sabotaging where I just, I don't know, everything is going fine, but then it's like going too fine, and then the past trauma sneaks up on you, and then you have to put up a guard and be like, oh, well, I obviously have to do something before, I have to hurt them before they hurt me, and that sounds so horrible, but there was this group of people that I was friends with my freshman and sophomore year, mostly, and they were like my... God, I had never felt so, like, part of a group, and it didn't help that I ended up developing, like, romantic feelings for two out of, like, the five people in the group at some point in my life, and it didn't help that at times it almost felt like there was a possibility that they might feel the same, and then I had to learn the hard way that they didn't, because one, they didn't either, they didn't swing that way, or that I was just not good enough, and, um, that's okay. I guess, but, um, when I was in my freshman and sophomore year of high school, I was kind of horrible. I used to be able to flip the script on any time I ever got in trouble with my friends, and I would be able to manipulate my friends in a way that it would be like, I did something wrong, and then make everybody turn against the person that I did the thing wrong against and then have everybody on my side and I was really good at it and I took pride in that and I was like oh yeah I'm like really good at getting people on my side and it was like that's not something to be like proud of it's really not and looking back on it I cringe and I mean I guess the thought that I can look back on that and I can cringe means that I've grown but then it's like have I really and then 
that's where the self-deprecation comes in. It's like, oh, am I actually, like, becoming a better person? Or am I just becoming better at hiding it? Like, the people that I have now in my life that I've considered my friends for now, like, an actually long time, you always get that thought of, like, are they really my friends? Or have I just manipulated them so hard to where it's like I... They're not actually my friends, and that I've just, like, convinced that myself that they are, that they just pity me, and then it's like, no, no, they wouldn't say and do the things that they did if they didn't actually love you and appreciate you, and you have to have that back-and-forth self-talk with the devil and angel on your shoulder, and I don't know, and then there was another thing back in middle school where I was able to basically convince two out of the three people in our group that the one girl had done a bunch of shit that she didn't really do and yeah it didn't help that the person that started it all the feud between me and the other girl was kind of a psychopath and she needs help and she's fucked up in the head and she literally bullied me and was homophobic and then came out as lesbian and I was dating a boy anyway um <laughs> sorry <laughs> it's not funny uh she I don't know. Because it's like I like to think that I'm a giver and I tend to put up with people's bad behavior and the way that they treat me. And I've noticed it's more of a common thread in the last five years than it is really now. Or no, in the last five years than it is really when I was younger because I was bossy and too much of a bitch to let people walk over me when I was younger, but as I got older, I, don't, I started realizing how bad of a person I was, and then I felt like when I did get treated like shit, and I did get treated like an emotional punching bag, that I, um, that I deserved it. And at the time, I probably wasn't like, ooh, she called me a bitch, I deserve that. Or like, she's trauma dumping on me and it's making me uncomfortable, I deserve this. It was more like of, um, it's fine, it's fine, we're friends, this is what friends do. And then talking to other people, now that I'm not friends with these people, and they're like, no, that wasn't normal, and I'm like, oh, well, shit. I don't know. It's... I like to think that sometimes it's like I'm so complicated, but then it's like, I'm, am I really? Or am I just so plainly boring and plain and obvious and an open book that it's just... People can't help but just to read it out loud, you know? Because it's like I just do things and those people have to psychoanalyze me and be like, oh, why do you do that? Or like used to say to do this and that and that and it's like yeah <laughs> oh my gosh oh I know that sounds so vague and this probably makes no sense but I'm trying so hard to get this scrambled egg brain to iron itself out and make fucking sense as if you iron out scrambled eggs my point exactly but um yeah, I used to suck, and I still kind of do, and when I talked about that one incident in my last episode where I had a really, really good friend of mine who I deadass thought was my twin flame, and that I thought was going to be, like, the maid of honor at my wedding, turned out to be kind of, like, a horrible person, and, um, decided she didn't want to be friends with me anymore because I was depressed. Yeah. Uh, 
that's a sense where it's like, okay, well, I didn't do anything wrong that time, so at least I can be like, okay, I didn't do anything wrong, that's fine. But in other circumstances, back when I was in high school, there were things that it's like, I ended up dating this girl my junior year, and um, I told her about all the things that had happened in the past between me and my old friend group, and she was like, you should just block them and unfollow them on everything. And I was so enamored with this woman that I just listened to her and did everything that she told me to do. And that's why I have, like, I had bad blood with um, my ex before that, which I don't even know if she considers me her ex because what we had was this weird, like, on and off fling thing where, like, at one point we were like, are we dating? And then we were like, I don't know. So it's like, I consider her, like, an ex-girlfriend, but I don't know if she considers me, which is, like, fine. I don't mind because it was weird and complicated, but... I like to put titles on things, and I like to label things because it makes me feel like I'm in control. And um, that's why I feel like I need to put a name and a label on things like my gender, my sexuality, and my personality type, and all of that because I like knowing what I am because it like helps with my sense of identity, which is a whole nother can of worms that I'll open in another episode with my fr- other friends where we're going to talk about the... Um, topic of identity which is really vague but we'll get into it but um yeah I would just listen to everything she told me to do and she was like oh you need to drop these people and when I like and I agreed to it not because she told me to specifically like yeah I was in love with her and I'd do anything she told me to do but I knew it was like oh I have an excuse to drop these people and never apologize to them for the bad things that I did so I'm just gonna drop them because it's like oh I can just tell them my oh my girlfriend made me do it when it's like no you just need an excuse to not take the responsibility of saying I'm sorry because I just started being like shitty to them for like no reason and I was like projecting all of my like insecurities and just being like a dick to these people I haven't really done anything wrong one of them is a Trump supporter now so I don't really care that much but the other one is like fine and a pretty good person anyway so it's like I feel bad about that but I don't know I just don't like being the one that's wrong and I don't mean wrong like like you get an answer wrong on a test I just mean like genuinely in the wrong morally and having to be the one to, to apologize it sucks having to be the bigger person to be like you did a shitty thing and you need to apologize for it and it's like I don't like looking at the ugly parts of me cause it's like I know I know and I just sometimes I just want to remain blissfully ignorant in the sense that maybe I am a good person but then it's like am I really and I have people in my day-to-day life tell me oh my god you're so kind you're such a good person you're such an empath like you are you're such like a like how come you let people walk all over you they just come in your life and they just drain you of all your good and your energy and they leave and i'm like oh yeah i know right and i sit there and i'm like is that really who i am am i really this like really really kind person that people see me as or is that just like what i'm projecting because i have such a confusing sense of self that i i don't know <laughs> not to be having a main character moment but it almost feels as though it's like I don't really have anyone who really understands me and I know that sounds so head ass but 
oh, how I would love to just, God, I don't know, sit down with someone and this could be a romantic partner or not and just be able to tell them everything. But in a way where it's not like trauma dumping and it's more like this is who I am and this is what you're signing up for. And I want you to know that this can work, but you have to be able to take and accept every piece of me and the ugly bits as well that I'm trying to fix. And it's not like a one-way street, because I would definitely do the same for the other person. If they were like, here is all of my flaws, here's all of my good parts, and if you want to be in a relationship with me, you have to be able to accept and love both parts and help me work through the bad ones and I'm like yes of course 100% and to be able to have that talk is good but I just feel like in this day and age it's not um I don't know it's not as common and god and it just it sucks because it's like I've gone through these so many so many people in my life that I had considered such such close friends of mine that have just like I've either kicked out or they've, they've left and I almost feel as though that I can't actually sit and tell someone everything because they'll just leave. And there are so many things that I've told to those people that I'm not friends with anymore that they like they have in their brains and knowledge about me. Like they have the idea that they perceive me in such a negative light because of the imprint that I left in their minds when we had last encountered each other just makes me want to die like it feels like there's bugs in my brain and I want them out like and it's it's such an uncomfortable feeling to know that there are people who perceive me in a not positive light but I can't be mad at anybody except myself because I'm the one that did it and I'm the one that did the shitty thing so I have to own up for it and then I ask myself is the fact that I know I'm an asshole make it okay because it's like if I know that I'm an asshole does that make me less of an asshole and then it's like well no because if you know you are one then why haven't you tried to take the steps to fixing it and it's like I have I have tried no matter how much I have tried to escape myself I always have to be with myself at the end of the day no matter how much I want to change the way I look like on the outside, it's not going to change anything on the inside. And I don't know why I keep trying to convince myself that it does. Because today I was going to get a tongue piercing. I was literally going to get a tongue piercing. And like, I still might, but like, and I also just had my friend cut my hair. And I just, I don't know why I constantly feel the need to have to change things about myself physically, almost as if I'm like making up for the fact that I'm so ugly inside that I need to be so beautiful on the outside. Did I say that right? That I'm so ugly on the inside that I need to compensate for being so attractive on the outside. But the thing is that I'm like not. <laughs> I, no matter how much people tell me that I am pretty, or that I'm handsome, or that I'm attractive. I literally can't believe it. And it's so frustrating because I want to believe them so bad. I want to believe them so bad. I want to believe everybody when they tell me that they think I'm like, that I'm attractive, but 
I'm the one that looks in the mirror every day and can't stand it. And being started on my body, God. It's just frustrating because when someone tells you that you're pretty and you want to be like, thank you, but I don't agree. And all you can do is just politely say, oh, thank you. And you can't really be like, oh, no, I'm not. Because then it seems like you're fishing for compliments. And then again, it's like, yeah, I am. I post pictures of myself when I actually do feel attractive for a second. Because I want that validation. I want that attention. Is it so bad to just do things and post things to want attention? I didn't get any of that growing up. Oh, my God, that scared me so bad. That was my alarm telling me to um, get my laundry out of the dryer. <laughs> and I was so heated, too. God, that really broke my flow. <laughs> shit. Well, God, it's like it's 1 a.m. right now. Holy shit. I just really wanted to get this out because it's like, yeah, it always ends up coming full circle and I'm able to always talk about what I meant to talk about by the end of the episode, like I mentioned in the beginning. But I, um, man, I suck. But that's okay because I know I suck and I'm trying to get better every day. The intrusive thoughts that I have on a daily basis are really dangerous and I don't mean dangerous like, oh. I'm gonna kill myself. It's more like, I think, really nasty thoughts about people when I don't mean to. And then I have to address those thoughts and be like, they're intrusive. They don't mean anything. That's just what it's like having mental illness. You just have these thoughts that are just like, they happen. And that's what it means, like dreams and stuff. Because dreams, I like to believe that sometimes they mean things. And they do. But most of the time, it's just like a garbled mess of your brain previewing what you had to deal with that day. And sometimes it may seem like your dream had nothing to do with what your life was like that day, like before you put your head on that pillow, but um, it's just your brain trying to basically upload all of the things that happened in your memory bank and be like, okay, we're going to go through all of this. And that's like your way of, your brain's way of like distributing it and then it becomes like a little movie. But, um, shit, man. I keep talking so much and getting so worked up that I'm filling my stomach with air and then I have to burp. <laughs> I get like that when I sing a lot in my car too when I'm driving places. I'll like sing three songs in a row and then be like, what? Just burp. <laughs> um, sheesh, man. There's so much wrong with me. It's almost like, am I ever going to be able to like, um, be in a relationship and I because it's like well yeah obviously you fucking dumbass you've been in one before and I'm like well look how that went (laughs) no she dumped me a few months before going to college because she felt like it quote-unquote wasn't fair to either of us to try to like not have the full college experience and I was like the full college experience of what bitch All I do is sit in my bed all day, do some things for my online classes, and maybe go to class, like, twice a week. And then do other, like, extracurricular activities. And by extracurricular, they might not always be legal. 
but I'm not going to get into the nitty-gritty of that. I don't know. I just, sometimes I can't help but feel so fucking unlovable, and it's almost as though it's like, if I can't even love myself, then who in the world has the capacity to do that? For me, at least. You know? Like... I feel like I'm a pretty easy person to get along with, and I think I'm, I do take a lot of pride in my comedic timing, and I do think that I'm pretty funny sometimes, and <laughs> I think that I can be attractive sometimes, but to be able to uphold that 24-7, it almost feels like I'm wearing a mask, because then when I get home and I get back to the real world, that mask falls off, and I'm like, Ooh, now I gotta deal with the real Kiki. Because, like, in the day, I'm the one that's left to deal with myself. Like, my friends always get the best of me. Not always. They've seen the worst of me sometimes. I know Molly has. Molly's my roommate. She gave me permission to use her name. My sister didn't, though. Whoops. Sorry, Tanya. <laughs> but I don't know. I have these, um, few friends that... I met at an art camp that honestly, like, I don't think they realize how much they mean to me because there is a one friend in our group who, um, two of them actually, who are a lot more vocal about like, oh my god, I love you guys, you guys are so much to me, because like we have a little, like we have a little friend group and um, it's always the two of them that are very like, very adamant on letting us know <laughs> that we are loved and appreciated by them and it's very nice to hear the constant reassurance because like I'm, I'd never admit it but I do really enjoy it especially when the other friends in our group that aren't so vocal do say things like I had a wonderful time seeing you I miss you guys like things like that really hits home for me because it almost feels as like I haven't had such a long relationship with people I know that doesn't really make any sense, but like I mentioned before, I've had so many people come into my life and then drop out and then meet more people, build a connection with them, and then they leave. And it feels like the one constant in my life has been these people. And we might not have always like talked a lot, but it was only just these past few years that we really were like, hey, <laughs> and we started bonding a lot more and having a closer relationship. And I couldn't have wished such good friends because I feel as though they genuinely like me and that's not an easy task because I don't even like me and the fact that I have them to tell me like let me know when we can make plans again I want to see you or I had such a good time seeing you that, like, I can't wait till next time. That shit. Oh my god. I. God. Not to be gay, but. I will not be able to stop thinking about that. That's the thing. That's the shit that, like, gets me through my days to be like, oh, someone actually enjoyed my company. And I don't know. Sometimes I feel like I'm a side character in my own life. And when I'm with them, I feel like I'm on the, I'm on the same level 
if that makes sense. Because a good majority of my life, I've always felt like a second choice, and I've always felt like the comedic relief, or like the quirky best friend, or like I've never had my own like main character moment, because my life really isn't that interesting, and I'm not really that interesting of a person. I have a little depth, but it's not like I have many layers to me, because I'm pretty easy to read, and I'm pretty easy to understand, and that's why I feel like sometimes when I talk too much about myself that I just bore people, because it's like, I don't know, I'm not really that complex. Like, if I were a spice, I'd be flower. <laughs> like, I'm not really that interesting, but when I'm with them, I feel like we're all the lead, you know? Like, we're all... There's this trope in a lot of media and fiction called found family. And I never really understood why I liked it as much as I did, or at least to the extent that I did, because it's like, it's not really that special of a trope to be used in media, so I don't know why it's like a big deal for me. And it's like, okay, well... Um, if you don't know what found family is, let me explain that, is that it's, there's this trope in media where a bunch of different characters from different backgrounds and different personalities who are not actually blood related will come together under certain, certain circumstances or situations that will have them basically build a bond over time and create their own family. And that's why it's called found family. Perfect examples of a thing called found family are things like Lilo and Stitch, or Avatar The Last Airbender, or Hunter x Hunter, if you recognize any of those, or this show called Ruby. There's a lot of, um, a bunch of people who aren't related come together, build a bond, and make a family. And, um, with, <laughs> with my friends that I have now, that I met through that stupid art camp, uh... I consider them family. I really do. And I'm proud to be able to like show off my friends and be like, these are my people. And these are my, um, they're my family. And I don't know if they feel the same <laughs> about me because I don't know. Like I said, they're all, I don't know. I just, they're so, they're so amazing, and they're so, like, they have so many layers to them, and they're all so interesting, and sometimes I just feel like I like to just sit there and watch them interact, because I'm like, wow, you guys are so, so cool, and I'm just a spectator, but the fact that they consider me their friend, and the fact that I can even be there to watch them interact just makes me happy, because it's like, they might all be the main characters, and I may be just the comic relief best bud, but the fact that I even just get to, I don't know, be in the same room as them makes me happy. Like, I am so in love with all of them platonically. Like, I don't know. They just make me very, very happy, and I get a lot of serotonin when I hang out with them. I know this episode was to talk more about, like, being able to realize who you were in the past and realizing you did things wrong. 
owning up to it and then moving on, but sometimes I like to think that with everything that I've gone through, which I guess isn't really that much, that I deserve to have such good friends that I do now. Because, yeah, when uh, my friends in the past had ended up leaving or I had pushed them away, it, I'd, like, I said it's fine, but it doesn't mean it didn't hurt. Because, I don't know, it's like, hey, what are you going to (laughs) do? You go through changes every day and you go through so many waves in your life and get knocked down by a few of them but you get right back up and keep swimming that's such a millennial thing to say god but i don't know you do really just have to dead ass keep swimming sometimes even when you're literally choking on water and you feel as though you're gonna drown you just have to keep swimming swimming because if you don't what are you gonna do you're just gonna drown you're gonna are you gonna man up and be a cowboy or are you just gonna lay down and bleed (laughs) you know i am too stubborn to admit that i have done bad things and i've been a bad person i mean i did admit it in this podcast but it's like deep down inside it's like "Mm." Fuck that. I never did anything wrong. And it's like, yeah, you did, homie. You really did. You really fucked up and you were kind of shitty. But it's like, I don't know. My brain is so scrambled. <laughs> I'm just happy I am not alone. Like, I have good friends I could count on. I do feel like sometimes I'm a bit overbearing and I'm a bit annoying with the amount of TikToks that I send or at the amount that I text them, but I don't know. It's just nice for once in my life to know that I actually have friends that I can count on that, like, won't just leave me. Like, I don't know. One of my friends had said, um... When me and, this is what he said, he was like, oh, me and our other friend are going to get this apartment, you should come and visit us in August. And I was like, just the fact that he was like, I am including you in a part of my future meant the world to me. And I literally, like, cried a little over it. I was like, yeah. You have no idea. I didn't say this, obviously. But I was like, oh my god, you have no idea how much that means to me. When people are like, we need to make plans in the future. Or like, I don't know, the fact that people are like actually think of me. And are like, hey. (laughs) I don't know. Shit, I don't know. (laughs) Okay, well... I tried my best to keep this on one topic, and it was very hard because I have so much to say, and my brain goes a million miles per second while my mouth tries to keep up, but sheesh, I used to be shitty, and now I'm not as shitty, so there, (laughs) that's the moral of this episode.
Sometimes you gotta be able to look at the ugly parts of yourself and address them, understand what you did was wrong, and move on. Because if you just keep festering all of that negative attention on yourself and the things you did in the past, you're never gonna grow. Because if you got one foot in the past and you got one foot in the future, you're pissing on the present. And <laughs> you gotta be able to fucking... Take the moral high ground and just be like, hey, I sucked. I don't suck that much anymore. End of story. So yeah, uh, <laughs> that's all I guess. Sheesh.